This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This week on Millennial, being an empath is not some mystical thing. And I'm not saying that if you're an empathetic person that you can't say that you're an empathetic person. But when I hear this term get thrown around, it sounds like it's this mystical secret of the universe. (laughs) My issue with this phrase is that I feel like people use I'm an empath to turn a situation around and make it about themselves. Yes. And that's what I hate. I feel like that's a good pairing. Blue hair, blue check, but okay. Eh, You know, you got one, you don't need the other. (laughs) What can I say? Oh, I see. So I should just dye my hair blue and then I will no longer feel the need to have a blue check. Okay. I know. Step one, dye your hair blue. Step two, success. But I do think it's all about how you frame it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. I mean, maybe that's something I can work on. I don't know. But <laughs> how are you saying it? Can you give us a dramatic, like, re-inter- retelling of... Oh my like- God, your breath again. No. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Millennial, the home of pretend adulting and real talk from three unverified millennials. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Laura, we wanted to talk a little bit about Dark Brandon. There's been some nice updates there. I know. And this is also a nice update from the episode that we did about monopolies and the Justice Department's pretty significant moves during the Biden administration to break up or prevent some of these mergers from happening. Um, The Justice Department today announced that it is suing JetBlue in order to block its proposed takeover of Spirit Airlines. Y'all will remember that during the Monopolies episode, we talked about how these types of mergers in industries that are already kind of lacking in any kind of competition, like the airline industry, are bad for consumers. So it's good to see that the Justice Department is taking the step here. This merger was actually one of the example cases that we brought up back on that episode. So good to see that they're taking some action here. JetBlue is, of course, saying they will vigorously defend their case. So This will take some time to carry out. We aren't going to know what the outcome is for quite some time. But again, happy to see the Justice Department putting its money where its mouth is on this issue. Good news for consumers. Also kind of interesting that such a, I think JetBlue is generally perceived to be a very good airline for them to try and acquire what's perceived as the crappiest airline is pretty interesting. Of course, Spirit is also the cheapest I haven't flown JetBlue in years and years and years, probably at least 10 years. 
I I try every once in a while. I'm like, let's see what the prices are there. JetBlue is expensive. So I would be terrified to see what would happen to the Spirit. Yeah. If JetBlue bought them. It used to be so cheap. It used to, it, yes. Yeah, it did. I was flying Jet, JetBlue for a while, like, because from SF to LA, it, you know, JetBlue usually had better prices. This was after, of course, we lost Virgin Atlantic or Virgin America, mm-hmm. um, which was like my preferred go to. And um, I will say that for short term flights, JetBlue has been like, getting a little janky. I think I've talked before about how it's like a toss up as to whether or not my carry on item will fit in the overhead compartment, even though I I picked carry on suitcase that is like in compliance with uh, the sizing that the TSA lists. It's it's JetBlue is the issue. Hmm. Usually. Yeah. That's wow. too bad. Sounds like uh, Jet Blow is an appropriate name. <laughs> yeah. Jet Blows. Yeah. So maybe it's fitting that they're acquiring a shitty airline like Spirit. But JetBlue already kind of does these like add on, what do you call it? Upgrades. Like oh. my favorite thing about giant flying JetBlue back in the days that you could kind of wait till the last minute and then upgrade yourself to extra leg room for like 20 bucks. And that's always the way to do it because you can do it straight through the app. Yeah. It's really nice. Well, speaking of those add-on fees, we know that the Biden administration has been trying to crack down on those additional fees, whether it's with airlines or, I don't know, movie theaters, Ticketmaster, etc. On a related note about airlines, Biden had recently put pressure on airlines to stop charging fees for families to sit together. He put this pressure on them during the State of the Union. Of course, he's always, like I just said, he's been on this kind of uh, crackdown on hidden fees campaign. Now, three airlines, American, Frontier, and Alaska, have agreed to drop those fees. A couple other airlines, including United, who's usually who I stick with, uh, have signaled that they're going to drop these fees as well in the future. So it's nice to see that he can make a comment like this. He can put pressure on them publicly, and they will change. These fees for families to sit together, I had never really thought about before. But I guess what was going on was, A parent and a child, let's say, you know, they go to book a reservation and dad sees two seats up front. But these days on a lot of airlines to sit towards the front, you got to pay some extra money. So dad wants to pay to sit closer to the front or maybe those are the only seats available, but he has to pay $45 two times for um, him and his child. Or the alternative was have the kids sit all the way in the back in like a middle seat by themselves. And that's not right. So I guess now you'll be able to buy one of those seats towards the front of the plane uh, for yourself and presumably pay an extra fee, but you won't have to for your child. That's good, though, because it's, you know, it always ends up becoming the problem of the other passengers. And Mm -hmm. you don't want to be the asshole that says no. But at the same time, it's like, why would I change into a middle seat for like a five hour flight? You know, it's just it's not fair that 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 has to be settled amongst people that you know, for whatever reason, picked the seat they wanted to sit in. Yeah. You put me in first class or rebook me for another flight happening very soon after this one. Mm. But I am not taking I'm not being put into a middle seat, especially for a long flight. Yeah, yeah. I'll do it if the compensation is right. And if it's a child, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I can't I because I've seen this. And I remember being a kid and flying, you know, with my parents, I even flew by myself a couple times as a kid. 
it can be scary. And yeah. I would never want to make a little kid feel scared like that. So if, you know, they look for volunteers to switch seats with the kids, so they can sit with their parent. I'll be the first one to put my hand up. But I will also ask for an accommodation. Like, give me a voucher. Yeah. <laughs> give me something. Yeah. You know, even for adults, they try to keep parties together. Like Pat and I flew up to the Northwest a couple weeks ago and we had separate seats, but I was sitting directly behind him. And mid-flight, by the way, I, I leaned over to his seat. I said, if you fucking put your seat back, I'll kill you. I was kidding. Of course, <laughs> I don't care. But that type of thing really bothers him. While we were waiting to board, I got called to the front desk and I was like, oh, they're going to bump me up. I don't know why, but they're going to bump me up to first class. They were like, oh, we wanted to put somebody else in the seat. I don't know what the reason why. Um, are you with anybody? And I said, yeah, my partner is actually sitting right in front of me. And they were like, oh, I don't want to se- separate you then. Never mind. And they just he just sent me back. So he didn't want to separate us. And we were adults and we weren't even sitting next to each other. So wow. I appreciated that from Alaska. That is nice. Yeah. Yeah. That that doesn't bother me very much, like getting separated from my party. Because it's like you're gonna you're gonna reunite anyway after the flight. It's like I don't need to sit next to the person I came with. It's fine. But some people are really like clingy. They cannot separate. It might be a flight anxiety thing. Yeah, but I think most of the time it's not. It's like you just want to be like Listen, you're like codependent. It's not a big deal. That's a hot take. I have a takeoff anxiety. Like, yeah, you know, flying in general doesn't bother me, but takeoffs freak me out. I get super anxious. That's why you go to the bar before you drink a double and you're fine. (laughs) But you know what? I would never make a scene to insist that I had to sit next to somebody if I, you know, I hadn't bought the seat in enough time or if things just didn't work out that way. I would just as I do on the plane, cocoon up, like wrap myself into the tightest, <laughs> tiniest version of myself. So I'm not touching anybody on the plane and just count in my, that's how I get through takeoff. I'll be like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. <laughs> I'll just like keep <laughs> going to get myself through the takeoff. And then once you get to 10,000 feet, you're cruising altitude. You're fine. Get a drink. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't love takeoff either. I love the initial thrust. And I hate roller coasters, but I love the initial you thrust. Would. I'm like, woohoo! Once you start going up, and if it's bumpy, that's when I'm like, oh my god, kill me, please. But if it's smooth, I have, I have no problem with all that. Landing, too, I love landing. Because you're going down. Like It's part of the plan that you're going down. Even if it's bumpy, I'm into it. Because you're going down. It's a planned descent. <laughs> but some people hate it. Like I'll see people violently grip the seat in front of them when they're landing. I'm just like, this is cool. <laughs> This is fun. <laughs> well, there has been a lot of um, plane drama this week, too. I don't know if y'all have seen any of that. No. I, I... That flight that, like, dropped abruptly 200 feet oh, over Tennessee the other day. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I did see that. Can we not? I And I speak for some <laughs> listeners, I'm sure, too. Can we not? <laughs> You're just like, please don't bring this up. You don't want to be like the CNN situation room. Like, <laughs> no. breaking news. More flight catastrophes. I don't. I'm I'm still <laughs> shook by a story we had on the show once about like one of the engines going out and the plane like completely turns 45 <laughs> degrees or something all of a sudden. Like I I think about that all the time. Oh yeah, that happened to one of our hosts. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 ugh, hearing stories like that traumatizes me. I'm gonna make Andrew vomit live on air. <laughs> I still think about the time you talk about you were like, oh yeah, when people fart, you know, the poop particles go in the air. 
Remember when you brought that up six months ago? Those are two completely different situations. <laughs> it's something I haven't forgotten. It's something that haunts me. Just like these plane stories. Oh, man. I love this for me. Uh, I'm living in your head rent free, apparently. <laughs> Andrew, you can take the headphones out. You can take the headphones out. All right, let's move on. So seemingly inspired by Elon Musk's recent moves at Twitter, Meta will soon offer Meta Verified, which is a way for you to pay for a blue check on your Instagram and Facebook profiles. So benefits include the coveted blue check, increased visibility, direct account support from a real person, Proactive account protection with impersonation monitoring, because this apparently is something you weren't getting before. Now Facebook's going to start caring that uh, nobody's impersonating you. You will also get exclusive stickers on Facebook, Facebook Reels, and Instagram stories. And the best benefit of all, you'll get 100 stars a month on Facebook so you can show your support for other creators. So I read that line. And I was like, what the hell are stars? And I'm in the online creator economy. So I I was surprised I hadn't heard about this before. These are kind of like points that you can award creators on Facebook. It's like a tip, but it's a digital currency. And then I Googled, well, how much is one star worth if I give a star to somebody on Facebook? Each star is worth a penny. So you'll be able to give a dollar out a month on Facebook to creators. Oh boy. <laughs> like, I know, right? So Meta Verified will be $14.99 a month if you subscribe through iOS or Android, or $11.99 a month if you subscribe through the web. And the reason there's a price difference is due to Apple and Google taking cuts of subscription revenue when a subscription is paid for through one of their devices. We've spoken about that shitty practice on a uh, previous episode. But I mentioned increased visibility. This is actually a pretty tantalizing benefit. To expand on it, it says you will be able to expand your reach with increased visibility and prominence in some parts of Instagram and Facebook, like comments, search, and recommendations. So I feel like this actually could be a pretty big deal for creators who want to get their brand, their persona, their product out there, but maybe struggle to because this is something everybody struggles with. It's like the struggle with Google. It's it's difficult to appear in people's feeds because there's so much going on with the algorithm. To that point, I know that with back in the Hypable days, you had tried to advertise Hypable. I think a couple of times you paid extra to promote the posts and it wasn't worth it. I remember you saying that it really didn't make much of a difference in driving traffic. So the fact that they seem to be fixing that for the purposes of their new verification tool, maybe is a good step in the right direction is a good alternative to that. Yeah. But like we definitely did get increased visibility, but getting people to click is a different story. Well, yeah, that's the whole thing. And and really like online, the online industry is driven by engagement. So right. Right. But I do feel like, say, for our podcasts, why not pay $11.99 a month to get our posts out there to more people? Hopefully, everybody who follows us is a baseline. That should always be the fucking baseline, whether or not you pay. And then get us in the Explore tab so people come across us. Yeah, I think that's worth it. At the very least, I'm like, do it for three months. See if it... Right yields any positive results and then we can go back to the drawing board if it doesn't yeah yeah not for myself personally though you wouldn't do this 
No. <laughs> okay. I'm I feel like I barely exist on social media these days. I know. So do I. I feel that way too. But let's let's talk about the blue check. Okay, so we know Laura, despite her blue hair, she does not want the blue check. I feel like that's a good pairing. Blue hair, blue check, but okay. Eh, you know, you got one, you don't need the other. <laughs> what can I say? Oh, I see. So I should just dye my hair blue and then I will right. no longer feel the need to have a blue check. Okay. I know. Step one, dye your hair blue. Step two, success. <laughs> Profit. We do know, though, that some people will buy this simply to have the blue check. As far as I can tell, it's mainly just to feel superior compared to others. That's what it's always been about on Twitter. For some people, that's what it's always been about on Facebook and Instagram. Some people deserve and need blue checks. People who are impersonated a lot. People who are journalists. Other online creators. But... A lot of people just buy this just to have the blue check, right? It's like so sad. I know. And it also makes me wonder about how many people are going to buy this. Because if it becomes relatively common for like low and mid-level social media users to start buying these, I feel like it'll say more to not have a check mark than it would to have one. It says something interesting about the priorities Mm -hmm. of the person involved in saying like, you know, I think I, Laura T, need a blue check. (laughs) Like, why? I have 4,000 Twitter followers. Like, it's... Little humble brag. That's that's not a big deal. That's not bad. That's that's a good number. I mean, I have more than you, but it's not bad. Yeah, well, I know, Andrew, you're always trying to be ahead of me. It's fine. <laughs> I'm really not. And I'm losing <laughs> followers like every day. Nobody cares <laughs> me about too. me anymore. Oh, thank God. I used to be over 5,000. They're yeah. just dropping like flies. Might be people just leaving Twitter due to the Elon of it all. Yeah, I don't blame them. Yeah. I think but- about it all the time. Chloe's sitting here like, shut up, bitch. <laughs> Stop shit talking social media. <laughs> but it's, it, it is interesting because. People do want the blue checks just to have them. It's a vanity thing. But then, on the other hand, if more and more people get blue checks, then blue checks are going to lose their meaning. They're going to lose that that yep. appeal that they've carried. And Mark Zuckerberg kind of admitted this. He said in a statement, we are evolving the meaning of the verified badge so we can expand access to verification and more people can trust the accounts they interact with are authentic. So I think that we are evolving the meaning says a lot. It's like, yeah, more people are going to have them. So it's not a vanity thing anymore. I think like that comment kind of makes sense a little bit along a similar vein. You can verify yourself on YouTube, for example, but it's mostly just verifying your identity and that you've gone through the steps on your account to verify who you are. Um it's not as flashy as a blue check. And I think that that's, that's like the key here, right? Is that the, the blue check, like the special badge makes people feel special for whatever reason. And that's not the same as what some other platforms are, are doing mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. But, but it like to Zuckerberg's point, maybe that's kind of the direction they're hoping to take this in. I just kind of worry about. Um, how they're going to police, like whose posts get amplified and whose don't, because 
we've already seen how the algorithm boosting misinformation has been a huge detriment to Facebook's place in society. And I would hate to see more of that just because like any schmuck with an extra 12 bucks lying around could then verify their account and be spewing out misinformation. That's a real problem. Because then if people see, let's see, a fake breaking news story, like we saw so many times on Twitter when they rushed out their blue checks for all subscription, how is Facebook going to prevent people from believing what people are writing? Is there going to be an extra message there next to the blue check? Because then that loses a lot of the, uh, yeah. that kills a lot of the appeal as well. I almost kind of wish they would pick a different color. I feel like a lot of this would be solved if they picked a different color than blue. You know, yeah, like people want green blue. for people that, of course, because that you know that's a Twitter thing. Twitter made it an exclusive club, and now it's not that. But that would be such an easy way to differentiate the kinds of accounts that you're coming across with check marks. Yeah. Well, and Twitter actually did end up doing different color badges. So gold are brands, gray are government accounts. They didn't plan it that way at the beginning. <laughs> that change came into effect once uh, you know, uh, people started messing with the system. I also do find it hilarious that they're rolling this out months after Twitter did. And everyone lost their shit when Twitter did this. Now Facebook's doing it and everybody's just like, uh, okay. And I guess what happened was Twitter's conditioned everybody to this idea of paying for the blue check and Mark Zuckerberg, who needs to make money for his shareholders. Facebook has not been doing well for a variety of reasons. He's like, here's some easy subscription revenue for us. We'll just play in the people's egos and we'll start caring about impersonation monitoring and talking to a real live person. When you need support. Ooh, thanks, Mark. It's just what we've wanted this whole time. Yeah. I don't know. It is very curious for this to come from Meta on the heels of everything with Twitter. Because to your point here in the doc, Andrew, signing up for Twitter Blue was kind of an embarrassing move. Oh, I got to admit, I did it. I did it because I wanted to feel (laughs) what it was like to have a blue check on Twitter. In my defense... I signed up and then like hours later, people started noticing that when you hovered over it, it said this person paid for Twitter blue and everybody started making fun of that. I was like, oh, my God, what did I get myself into? I (laughs) swear I only wanted to try it for a month because I just wanted to see it. I wanted to know what it felt like. And I asked Apple for a a refund and they gave it to me. So Elon didn't get any of my money for Twitter, at least. (laughs) There you go. Well, I mean, you're also you're not the only person we know who signed up for Twitter Blue, right? I think we know a couple of other folks who did, too. And I can understand, especially given, I think, the size of your online presence, Andrew. I know it's definitely much larger than mine. Um, You're just you're someone who, who has had a larger presence for a longer period of time. And it was always kind of shocking to me that you weren't a blue check, you know, back when the blue check was actually exclusive, because there were definitely creators who were smaller than you who got that blue check. So, And I tried to apply for a genuine one. And I feel like I did have a genuine case. First of all, I'm confused with the damn Sims video game daily in my mentions. Second of all, being a journalist... 
you know, I made my own website, but I was a journalist at Hypable. That was another reason. I think those two reasons were grounds for it. But yeah, I applied. I applied for Instagrams. I Facebook actually did give it to me. But now I try to apply for Instagrams and I've tried for like the last year. And, you know, now I've got the course creation. I've got the consulting. Like, I feel like I've I've built up a case. And not to mention, again, Facebook has verified me. Instagram, who's owned by Facebook, still won't verify me. I'm like, dude, Facebook did? That should be like an automatic yeah. verification pass for Instagram. Are you going to sign up for a blue check, Pam? Pay? No, because I don't use um, Facebook enough, honestly. But like you, I have before tried to get verified on Twitter. Just because, like, you know, I know journalists with, like, less of an imprint than I have that are verified. And Mm -hmm. their, like, um, their system, I I heard that for a while they just had the system in place to to quit people asking, but they weren't actually verifying anyone anymore. And this was, like, going on for years. And I don't know if the new system they have in place is is better but i still see people um having issues with it yeah so Mm. yeah see i feel like the two of you actually have legitimate cases for seeking out um verified status i don't like my historical twitter usage has been shit posting (laughs) and being rude to politicians and uh-huh. now i don't i barely use it so i think the honestly the move would, would probably be to register like one of the companies and then to register all of us because that's, that's how the it. bigger organizations do it oh, that's the move you're saying let me ride the- y'all's coattails <laughs> yeah I was going to say, Laura, you go with your blue hair to Twitter HQ and you protest for us that we deserve <laughs> like a blue check. advertisement. Blue hair demands blue check. Blue hair demands blue checks for all of us here at Millennial. Anyway, that's what's going on. I will, like I said, I'll probably sign up for MetaVerify. Did I say that? I'm going to, I'm pledging now. You I did. will personally sign up because I want it for Instagram. That's my main thing. And I think. Is it going to transfer over? It should, but that's a good question, actually. Maybe under this new policy, it finally will. Because hmm. like I said, I, I deserve a Instagram verification fast pass since I have been <laughs> verified on Facebook for like seven years. They're testing this in certain countries right now. It's going to be rolling out in the future at some point. This is almost like a definite thing that's going to happen because, again, the subscription revenue Facebook really wants that. They're going to start getting subscription revenue from everyday users. That's going to be probably that's going to do really well for them. All right. We'll talk about some unpopular opinions and hot takes in a moment, but we'll be right back after these messages. So like Andrew Tease, we're going to be diving into the general topic of unpopular opinions, which are, you know, for lack of a better word, very popular online. And this conversation was actually inspired by a tweet that Andrew found floating around on his timeline. I hear that by this point, the tweet has been deleted. So that's how you know it was a real unpopular (laughs) opinion. But Andrew, do you want to walk us through the gist of what this tweet was about? Yeah, I'm so disappointed they deleted the tweet, but it said, for real though, most nonfiction books are pretty unreadable in full. It's like they're not even intended to be read in full. They're not, but nobody says this. And this just happened to float into my Twitter feed, and I thought it was really interesting. 
And I clicked into the tweet and I saw a lot of people were either strongly agreeing or disagreeing. So it turned into a pretty fiery debate. And I guess that's why this person deleted the tweet. It's something I hadn't really thought about before. And I'll be the first to admit that there are plenty of books I don't read in full. I'll skip chapters. I did this with Bono's book recently. There's some stuff, some parts of his backstory that I just didn't care for. So I skipped over it. But I never had the confidence to acknowledge to myself or others that some that in this person's words, most nonfiction books are pretty unreadable in full. And it's like they're not even intended to be read in full. But now I guess I'm going to start owning this because apparently I'm not the only one who feels this way. I agree with this. There are certain nonfiction books that are really, I think, mostly intended for research purposes. And if you're researching something particularly niche, not everything in that book is necessarily going to be relevant to you, nor are you necessarily going to have the time to digest all of it. Of course, there's also plenty of nonfiction that is super interesting. And I have read cover to cover just because it genuinely interests me. But there's a lot of more academically skewed type, you know, nonfiction books out there that I would agree, I don't think are generally recommended or meant to be beach reads or something that you just sit around in your living room and read cover to cover. I, I never thought of this before as being a take because I always just thought that's how everyone felt but apparently that's not true i just i think part of it for me is that i feel guilty if i don't read a book all the way through i bought it to read the whole thing i mean that's normally the intention like the research point is very good somebody brought that up in the replies of the now deleted tweet too another point somebody brought up was the only goal is to sell the book and i think that's valid for like celebrities right they just want to get you in through the door they don't actually care if you're going to read the whole book the celebrities writing like a memoir they don't They don't need you to return for a sequel necessarily. This is just some additional revenue they're going to make one time. Where do you fall, Pam? I I think that you both raised some good points. And I agree with Laura that some nonfiction books really grip you. I think about a lot of these um, nonfiction books that I've read in the past that are more along the lines of investigative journalism. And I would put true crime books into the Mm -hmm. same category as well. Something like that, that reads more of like a narrative story, like a memoir would, for example, is going to be a lot more compelling than something that is super dense and really only meant to be read maybe in small chunks here and there, whenever you need to, um, you know, reference that material. But, you know, things like Nickel and Dimed, which had like a really big moment. Um, Why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria? The tipping point, like all of these things are like you're basically reading it to immerse yourself in one topic. And depending on how those things are written out, it it could be a little bit more gripping. So it just depends. All right. Well, I'm learning today to not feel guilty. If I don't read a book all the way through. But I do think that like this tweet probably struck a nerve because most people on the Internet have very selective reading. So instead of honing in on the fact that this person wrote that most nonfiction books were unreadable, 
I think most people just read it as nonfiction books are pretty unreadable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that probably struck a nerve one way or the other. That's the problem online is we have really kind of backed ourselves into a corner culturally with how we take on discourse online because everything is two sides, right? You're either side A or side B. It's all or nothing. There's no nuance. There's no discussion. There's no actual discourse. It's just, I'm right, you're wrong. And obviously, we're talking about a tweet where people were kind of, you know, some people were bantering back and forth. Some people took it a little more seriously. It's not that deep. (laughs) But it is, I think, emblematic of the way that online culture can contribute to this kind of like team, like sports team mentality over everything, even things that really aren't that important to debate. That's a really good way to phrase it. Yeah. It's fun to fight on Twitter. <laughs> Sometimes. Well, it's not just Twitter where unpopular opinions are popular. There's also an entire subreddit that is dedicated to just allowing people to air out their quote unquote unpopular opinions. And these kind of range from, you know, very serious hot takes to kind of things that are a little bit more silly. Like when we were planning out this segment, we stumbled across one where somebody said that, like, they hate chicken thighs as a meat, <laughs> which is, you know, okay, it's very, it's very low stakes, but you go random person on the internet. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you both, what is it about sharing hot takes online that people find so appealing? Do we think? Is it just that everyone likes to argue every once in a while? Or Yeah, and it's like getting your rage out too. It's like how we've spoken about before. Sometimes I think we'll like at least what I will do sometimes, I want to tweet something and I'll type out the tweet in the tweet window. And simply typing it out is enough to get the rage out. Or I'll just go ahead and tweet it or, or post it anywhere else. And getting that out there, it feels good to get off your chest. So I think sometimes sharing these hot takes, especially if you're wired up on caffeine, you got some good music going, you're you're just all fired up. Uh, you want to get these out there and maybe get a little debate going. You want to get something off your chest. Yeah. And we've also talked about before how it, it is a dopamine hit when people start agreeing with you and your hot takes online or you start getting all those likes. Um, and then conversely, to Andrew's point, it can be really easy to get pulled into an internet mudslinging match because you're not face to face with that person. It's really easy to get into a fight with someone who may as well just be a bot for all you know online. So it's it's a way, I think, to get out some pent up frustration, maybe. Related to your point of, you know, seeing the engagement rise on, you know, particularly good tweet. Is something really a hot take if a lot of people are liking it and agreeing with you? Like, do we feel like that phrase overall is overused at this point? I think Sometimes it is overused. I wonder. Yeah, it's definitely. It's just kind of a fun phrase to say, too. Like, ooh, yeah. hot take. Ooh. I think so, too. It's a little sarcastic. So just for the purposes of entertainment, I thought it would be fun if we all 
partook and shared some hot takes to varying degrees of our own. So we each came prepared to talk about one hot take we had, one warm take we had, and one cold take we had. Um, So let's start with hot takes, which we classified for the purposes of this discussion as something that would actually get you yelled at by most people online. Your phone should always be in silent mode, except for phone calls. It should be in silent mode for texts and all other notifications. And further, no vibrating for anything other than texts and calls. I'm not just doing this for the comfort and peace of those around you. I'm doing it for your own I'm demanding this for your own mental health. You don't need to be constantly pestered with dings and other noises coming out of your phone and the vibration knocking on your thigh in your pocket all day. I think it's overkill. Like if you take this all the way back, the phone used to ring when you had a phone call. I'm not even talking about a smartphone. I'm just talking about the telephone rang because, you know, you have to answer that. Okay. But then you bring the phone into a smartphone and then they're like, let's start putting noises in for everything else, too. And there was never a reason for that. You don't need to be notified about everything going on on your phone. And so I always, always have my phone in silent mode. It rings when there's a phone call, but that is it. I do have the Apple Watch, so it'll tap me on the wrist, but just for the text messages. Your life will improve by 2%. By turning off all the noises and vibrations on your phone. It's too much. And I think this is a hot take because some people like it, but you don't realize how much more you'll like not being notified. I, you know, on a personal level, I agree with that. Um, I definitely keep my phone on silent almost all the time. And I definitely do not have it set to vibrate at all. Oh, And I'm much happier with that. Sometimes it means I miss stuff, but it also means that I'm not constantly feeling like I'm being pinged, which I think is really valuable if you work in a job where you are getting pinged all the time during the workday, because sometimes that can be a little bit messy if you've got like personal and work stuff all coming through at the same time. So that can be a lot. Um, It doesn't particularly bother me though if somebody else doesn't do this if that makes sense like i prefer it strongly for myself but other people eh. it can bother you though if you have somebody (laughs) above you like in the apartment above you or like in a movie theater or i don't know on a bus it's like in public space like yeah i don't really care if somebody in the privacy of their own home has it on and and i can't hear it but if you're out in public and you're hearing all this shit, it's it's a lot. Restaurants. Yeah, I I will keep it. I will keep my phone on if I'm waiting for some, a call or a specific text. But especially if I'm out with people, I will usually just put my phone on do not disturb. Or Apple makes it really easy to customize different themes now, which is really helpful because usually, you know, I'll just like I have one set up where it's just like phone calls from like in text from my favorites. So that way I know mm-hmm. that, you know, if somebody really needs to get a hold of me and it's important, then then it'll just be like those notifications. And that is significantly less than, you know, everything else that pushes through. It doesn't bother me either. Like as long as somebody's phone, like some people have notifications turned on for everything. And I think that's overkill. Like, yeah. and I, and I'm always over there like, 
I'm in news if I can survive without, you know, my push notifications from every news outlet I follow, you can too. There's no reason you need to be this plugged in. I agree with that. Absolutely no reason. All right. Well, I hope I piss some people off because that is my hot take. <laughs> Get angry, people. <laughs> I, I'm a little bit worried that mine is going to piss some people off. In general, most people can pick up or perceive on some level of other people's emotions. And I say that most people in general, some level, because this can all vary, right? Person to person, your perceptions may be a little sharper. They may be a little less sharp. Um, you know, you may you may struggle to perceive other people's emotions. I'm not talking about some of those other cases where maybe this isn't necessarily possible. I'm just speaking in general. Most people can, to some degree, pick up on other people's emotions. So the idea of being an empath is not a thing. <laughs> it's being an empath is not some mystical thing. And I'm not saying that if you're an empathetic person that you can't say that you're an empathetic person. That's completely fine. But when I hear this term get thrown around, it sounds like it's this mystical secret of the universe. <laughs> I know people feel strongly about this. Do that so because this is kind of news to my, me that. So. Ahead, My issue with this phrase is that I feel like people use I'm an empath to turn a situation around and make it about themselves. Yes. And that's what I hate. Speci I see this a lot specifically with like anytime there's a huge um, natural disaster in America specifically or like, God forbid, somebody gets murdered. Right. It's always like, oh, like I'm but I'm an empath. That's why I care so much. It's like. Great. But also there was like a huge bomb overseas and like this country had an earthquake, but you weren't crying about that. You're just crying because like Florida flooded again. Like no shade to Florida. I do feel bad for people that lose everything, but it's just it just feels so hollow when you're <laughs> cherry picking what like constitutes as like you being like overly empathetic because that's an identifier for yourself. You know, it's like right. either cry about everything or cry about nothing. That's the thing. And and it's when people kind of attach it to being like, oh, I'm really perceptive about other people's feelings. I'm an empath. I'm like, what you're describing is very much a, a natural part of the human condition <laughs> for... Yeah. For very many people. So it just feels weird to me when I hear the I'm an empath and there's this like, again, to Pam's point, um, feeling of them making the conversation about themselves. Pam, I was laughing a little bit ago because when you were talking about Florida, I thought you were about to say, I do feel sorry for people who live in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also feel sorry for people that live in Florida, but most of them choose to live there. Not all, but a lot of the transplants are choosing that life. So, yeah. And there are a couple of really good comments coming from our Discord to highlight. Liza is saying maybe the right term to use is highly sensitive person. That is a real researched term, and it's how I identify. Here's an example if I see an injury on TV, 
I feel it like nails on a chalkboard. There's less of a barrier between me and others. It's a type of neurodiversity from what I understand, right? So I think that is very distinct from somebody hearing, you know, horrible news on TV and being like, I'm an empath. Let me tell you how I feel about this because it should reflect how you feel because I am such an empathetic person. And I think Meg is pointing out something similar and saying, I hate when people say they're an empath to then just try and tell me how I should feel. So there are definitely, I think, degrees to which you can identify with and feel sensitively about things. But what I'm specifically talking about and why I gave that big disclaimer is it's about the people who are basically saying, look at me, this hurts me <laughs> It so is much. the new, like, but I'm an insert astrological sign here. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, uh, my hot take is that airlines should get rid of the reclining fu- function on all economy seats. And I will preface this by saying, like, if they insist on shrinking the space back there or keeping the space as it is. Um, I don't think that it really adds much more as far as comfort goes. And also it really sucks when like the person in front of you reclines and then you have to recline, but then, so then the other person has to recline. It's a huge domino effect. And it really like, it really bothers me. It kind of makes me a little bit anxious because I don't want to be the asshole that reclines behind someone else, but then the person in front of me reclined. It's, it's a lot. Um, and I just think that it should just not be a function anymore. We should just get rid of it. And that would be the end of that. I actually do disagree with you on this one. I knew I yeah. knew you were going to. I, I think there's a very simple <laughs> etiquette that people are just need to follow. And of course, people suck. They're not going to follow this. But you should only recline your seat if the person behind you has already reclined their seat. That's been my policy. I give I give the person behind me a quick glance. Okay, they're reclined. Then I will recline. I will not do it otherwise. I think reclining does add a smidge of comfort. I agree. It's it's not a game changer, but it's a bit of a difference. And especially if you're just like trying to get a little sleep, or you just want to lay back and watch something, or or close your eyes as you listen to a podcast, like it's good for that. But only if the person behind you has already reclined. I see. Here's my thing is I don't trust people to police themselves and be as, as considerate I know, as Pam, you are. People yeah. suck, but we can't get rid of right. that function if, just because people aren't as thoughtful as I am. Right, exactly. But, you know, this is why we can't have nice things. Because <laughs> most people won't do that. Oh, but uh, but just let's let's play this out and pretend, <laughs> you know, the airlines listen to you. Let's say Joe Biden bullies them, too, at the next State of the Union. People would riot if airlines started getting rid of the That's reclining seat. That's why it's a hot take. <laughs> oh, okay. What they you, should really you got do me. You got me. is keep. They should keep the reclining feature, but give us more space in the back, and then the problem would be solved. Yes. So, like my taking um, this extra non-feature away is contingent on them keeping the space as is or shrinking it even more. But if they create more space back there, it's fine. Keep it. That'd be great. Yeah. I never recline my seat on flights. Why? You just because you don't want to bother the person or you don't think it adds anything? I don't think it adds anything. And I'm also just so eager 
to get off the plane. Flying is not a comfortable or fun experience, I don't think. So I'm not really there to try and get comfortable. I'm just trying to get from point A to point B. <laughs> but you will wrap yourself up in a cocoon and like... Oh, 100%. That, that shit's not comfortable. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely not. I just don't want to touch anyone on the plane. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to warm takes, which we are classifying as an opinion that might annoy only some people. So I feel that for businesses and workers who are capable of a work from home model, the hybrid work life is the way to go. Not fully in the office, not fully at home, hybrid. You spend a day or two in the office. I I would be in favor of most time at home, but you spend a day or two in the office each week and then the rest of the time you're at home. I just think that's a good balance for people's mental health, to keep some structure, to, to see to see people for productivity reasons. Um, I come at this from somebody who's always worked from home, and you might say, well, who are you to say? Fuck you. I have said on this show before that I yearn to be around other people sometimes, and I think that would be the perfect blend. Pat's in a hybrid work model right now. He's really enjoying it. Um, I really think this is the the right answer. And I call it a warm take because I'm, sh- I'm sure some people never want to go back to the office again. But I think in time, you'll realize that there are some benefits there. I 100% agree with you. And also, um, we're you know more or less in the same industry. And for a long time, we were in the same industry. I've worked in newsrooms um, or like for the like, purposes of you're making this more of a blanket statement. I've worked in office settings and I've also worked from home. And um, 100%, I think that people don't realize that it gets old really fast. And I would also take it a step further and say that most people um, that are itching to work from home coming off of the pandemic probably aren't as productive as they think they're being. And I say this from speaking with people personally that I know that I know are not as productive as they should be working from home because you really have to be pretty disciplined to make this work in the same capacity as you would be if you were in an office setting. So I always tell people it's a blessing and a curse working from home. It is. Yeah. You got to be really motivated to keep a schedule and to figure out what works for you. Yeah. And again, the social aspect. I mean, that that's kind of my, I've got the, I'm very dependable, I think, and uh, reliable and can keep on top of my shit. But it's the social stuff that that I would like. You know, some people said, well, go to a WeWork. I don't really have one close to me or a WeWork equivalent. Otherwise, I might Mm. give that some serious thought. And that's something else I got to pay for. So no thanks. Our equivalent of WeWork is our weekly meetings. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. Those are pretty fun. Are there are those not scratching the social itch for you? No, because I I really no offense, but I just want to <laughs> like be somewhere he wants else. To be where the people are. I want to yes, call me Ariel. I want to be in a. I want to be in a cool office. Not like all offices are cool, but yeah, you want to poke up around through a cubicle and be like, hey, let's talk about this. <laughs> yeah, or I go and grab a free soda from the kitchen, making new coffee. Actually, have a water cooler talk in front of a water cooler. <laughs> right, walk around, talk to Joe. We play uh, some tennis, use use the bicycles, uh, go get lunch with somebody in the cafeteria, stuff like that. Andrew, it sounds like you want to work at a tech startup. Yeah, exactly. A tech startup <laughs> that's like over hiring is, and is going to be firing like so many tech companies are right now. 
Um, my warm take, I think it's a warm take, is that um, changing the clocks twice a year is stupid. I wish we didn't do it. Um, I think daylight savings time is way better than standard time. And I wish that we were just on it all year round. Um, I know, I think I'm probably one of the only people on this panel who feels this strongly about it. But every fucking year when we get to this time, we're getting ready to change the clocks again. It just pisses me off because even though I love standard or I love, um, excuse me, daylight savings time, it's a spring forward. And I love sleep. I hate mornings. I hate waking up early. And I hate that feeling for like the first week or so after we go back to daylight savings time where I'm feeling sleep deprived all week. We just need to rip the bandaid off and stand daylight savings time for my warm take. So you're saying don't push the clocks forward. We go back and that's it? No, I'm saying... Push the clocks forward one more time. Okay. And then never make us do the no shit again. No more falling back. Okay. So no this more. weekend and then never again. And then never again. <laughs> Got it. I forgot it's already this weekend. See, and nobody can ever keep track of when it's happening. That's the last thing you're going to be, you know, highly cognizant of. That's why they do it Saturday into Sunday so you don't miss work. That's the <laughs> Probably, thing. yeah. But then you still have to get up on Monday morning and Mondays are shitty enough as it is. And the yeah. impact is still very much evident. And we're actually going to talk about this a little bit later here for our third story about the time change and daylight savings in general. I just feel like this is a relic from... An America of the past, we have several states that don't even recognize the time change anymore and are permanently on daylight savings time. It's just time. <laughs> time. You said it's time. time. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about this one. I, I'm actually kind of undecided, but we can talk about it more uh, a little later. So my warm take is that the rise in cashless businesses slash events etc. is dumb and elitist. I know that there are good reasons to do this. Namely, people are really stressed out about germs still coming out of COVID, which I totally understand. But also like cash is still money. And if somebody wants to pay cash for whatever reason, they shouldn't be denied being able to do that. And also a lot of people don't have bank accounts for whatever reason. So what then? Accessibility wise, I definitely see the issue. Mm hmm. The COVID reason at this point, the cashier should wear gloves, I guess, if they're super concerned Mm. about it. Yeah. I do think it's nice from a convenience standpoint, and maybe businesses have reason to go cashless as well. Good reasons. Like from a security perspective, it's probably safer to not have cash sitting in the register. The thing is, though, I mean, it's still legal tender. And it is super annoying to consider because I've definitely been in a space before. It doesn't happen often, but I have been somewhere before where I only had cash and I effectively had no money on me because the venue that I was at was cashless. Mm -hmm. It's frustrating because I'm like, this is legal fucking tender. (laughs) Yeah. Take my money. Take my money. Exactly. Yeah. And to that point about money and the register, Andrew, I will say that I, I, I don't know if you've ever worked retail or not. I can't remember. But like, that's why they do um sh- like sh- shifts Shift changes. and stuff too, because they'll just come out and change out the cash register and then you'll balance out that cash store. It usually happens like at a really busy location, like 
um, either once every shift or if not more than that. So you're not going over like maybe two to four hours with the same cash drawer to register. And that means that you're like automatically going to be starting out with maybe like $200, which is not a lot. Okay. You know, I would actually flip yours around here and I would say cash only businesses are really freaking stupid. Not elitist, but stupid. Because I only carry a credit card anymore. I do not carry cash. And I rarely, if ever, see cashless places. But places that are cardless, those I do see. And I'm like, what the fuck? Mm. To that point, it might be city to city because I know out here in San Francisco, it's becoming more and more common. Like I was I I thought about this specifically because I was looking at, at the bag restrictions for the Taylor Swift concert at Levi Stadium and Levi Stadium, which is where the 49ers play, has this like big banner on their website that's like, we're proud to be cashless. And their workaround is that I guess they have kiosks where you can like exchange your cash for a card that will work within that stadium only. Only, which I guess is better than nothing, but it's also like an extra step that you would have to do when you could like just as easily pay the cash you have in your pocket. And, you know, like Laura said, it's still legal tender. So it's kind of weird. All right. Should we do cold takes real quick and yeah. we can wrap this up? What's your cold take, Andrew? Okay. Well, you two said you had thoughts. So uh, this might not be a cold take. I don't know. It is okay to tell your partner when their breath or other parts of their body, smells. Now, the reason I bring this up is because I get a scowl from Pat when I tell him his breath smells. But I'm like, sorry for telling you something that is true. And it happens. Now, he takes care of his mouth. He just went to the dentist three weeks ago. He He's on it, you know, morning and night, cleaning his teeth, all that. But still, I notice for some reason, maybe it's the coffee he drinks. I don't know. The breath smells kind of regularly. And by the way, y'all, Pat's a listener. I think I'm going to have to refund a month of Patreon for this. I know. I was like, does he know that you're putting him on blast? (laughs) I'll tell him after. I'll I'll tell him after. (laughs) After I eat the dinner he's probably making me right now. Oh, my Um, goodness. Okay. Well, I will say I have hung out with Pat and I have never noticed a breath issue. Okay. Yeah. But we're not talking about that. I was going to say the same, but I don't think that you and I are getting as close to Pat as Andrew is, so. That he knows of. That's true. But would you agree with the uh, putting putting Pat aside? Would you agree with the? Well, okay. Um, I think it depends on how you're saying it because I don't think you should be an asshole. <laughs> yeah, about it's it, context okay? dependent. Yeah, but like for example, like if I see someone with like lipstick on their teeth or something in their teeth, I would rather tell them because I would want somebody to tell me if I had lipstick or something in my teeth yes you know that's like it's like embarrassing for a moment but it's way less embarrassing than walking around all day with that yeah but i do think it's all about how you frame it yeah well yeah okay i mean maybe that's something i can work on i don't know but how are you saying it can you give us a dramatic like retelling oh my god your breath again no You can also wind this out and say to your point about like the lipstick on the face or like I used to um, I, I I started telling Pat, like, tell me if you see a pimple on my face or something, because mm. sometimes we'd spend half the day out and about together and I we'd get back or I'd go, go in the bathroom. I'd see a pimple. I was like, why didn't you tell me? He was like, oh, I didn't. I was like, start telling start telling me. I, you know, I don't want to be mm. seen out and I don't care if you see it, but like other people, I don't need them seeing me with a whitehead or something. So tell your partner. Or who you're with, 
maybe not, maybe not just like a friend, but tell the person you're romantically involved with, hey, improve this, no matter how many times you have to tell them. <laughs> I think especially if if you're out in public somewhere or you're with friends, you're with multiple people and you notice your partner's breath stinks, I would definitely pull my partner aside and be like, hey, let me give you a mint or like, I'm going to give you some gum. Your breath kind of smells weird. Mm -hmm. I feel like the context of that, though, is like we're in a mixed social setting and I don't want you to be embarrassed. Right. Whereas like if we're just at home, the two of us and I notice their breath stinks, I don't feel like I'm as likely to say something right away because I feel like they're probably at some point going to realize it and go brush their teeth. Yeah, you know what I, I, mean? I think of like morning breath. Yeah. Like my ex used to have pretty bad morning breath, but I'm like, okay, well, I know that's going to get fixed within an hour. So whatever. I feel like everyone's morning breath is bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Sorry, Pat. And uh, Laura, what do you got for us? Let's <laughs> pretend this never happened. Yep. <laughs> um, I'm. This is a quick one. Not every aspect of your life needs to be documented online. Yeah. Who do you think that's disagrees it. with this? Influencers? Yeah. There are some people, though, who who tweet all day, every day. Yes. Yeah, there are. And not not every here. Here's a hot take. Not every one of your hot takes needs to be tweeted. Yes. Or similarly, uh, you know, you go to somebody's Instagram story and it's like 50 posts from a completely average day. And it's like, did we need to see every minute of your day every day? Yeah. And I mean. Sometimes that's fine, but there are definitely cases where it's it's chronic. Yeah, right. Like trips. Okay, you're going <laughs> on a vacation. That's that's fine. But your a- average day does not need to be documented. Right. It's funny because Chloe in our little show chat was like, "Oh, that's about me." I, I don't. I don't think so. I really would <laughs> no, not classify not. you. I tweet more than. Both of you, too. So it's probably about me, too. No, <laughs> no, I'm not oh. about anyone here. I got to send you some people. You two, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Like, yeah. like get up like a, a shot at Starbucks and then walking down the street and uh, talking about dropping the kid off at school and like every little <laughs> yeah. thing. Oh, I'm reheating yeah. up dinner, like re- like mm-hmm. reheating dinner. Does that really need to be part? come on i will say that like extending this to like relationships too like i i I would like i would have no problem talking about any romantic partners with either of you two like outside of the internet but i'm not somebody that feels like i need to justify any relationship i'm in with like an online footprint Mm -hmm. and um i also think that you know if that relationship doesn't work out it ends up getting really messy because then you got to deal with like what do i do with all this content that i now put out there on the internet about the both of us that's that's my concern like i think these days don't do anything like that for like the first three four years now you can like hide posts but i wouldn't i wouldn't Mm -hmm. broadcast a relationship early on because people might get invested in that outside of you know you or your partner and then it's embarrassing when like it all falls apart because he actually is a dick Right. And I don't I mean, like, oh, my God, I was just thinking about like one person I know specifically that like got married. And then all of a sudden, the husband was nowhere to be found on their feed. And then I was like, oh, what happened to the husband? And then because I know this person very well, I was like, looking through and all of the photos of the wedding are just like gone. (laughs) And I get I get like not wanting to like 
publicly say, by the way, I'm divorced now, life update. But also it does make things really awkward yeah. for like everybody, you know? And like, it's like romance is not any less if you don't like put that out there. It's so easy to tell to these see. days when a relationship yeah. is over. They've it, yeah. unfollowed each other. Photos are hidden. <laughs> it's okay to keep things just for yourself. I think that's like the bottom line here, that's right? The like, for yeah. Sure. And let me clarify something, because again, Chloe's uh, checking me in the chat. I said, don't post <laughs> for three to four years into a relationship. Don't post regularly. Like, yeah, I'll post from time to time, sure, but don't lean in fully early on in the relationship. Make sure this is the one before you start going all in. A post from time to time is fine. Early-ish, you know, wait six months, I'd say, to a year <laughs> before you post anything. <laughs> or you post with them and it's like, it doesn't confirm you're together. It's like, oh, look at us at a freaking concert. I don't know. Let people draw their own conclusions if they want to. Yeah. Keep a little mystery in your life. Yeah. You'd yeah. be like the fascinating mystery person. Mm-hmm. So my cold take is a fashion cold take. And I just think that women's jeans and pants should be sized like men's. And I know that there are some logistics here that don't quite work because like hip size is a thing that most men don't have to deal with. But I still feel like we can adopt some of that and make shopping for clothes a lot easier. And also if the pants include pockets in a design, I think those pants should be deep, deep enough to be functional. And there's no, there's no reason why at least pockets can't be functional in women's clothes. Thing. Fully agree. Because like, what does a size 10 mean? It means nothing because a size 10 at one store is going to fit completely differently from a size 10 from another brand or another store. Right. You can be, you're right. You can be a size 10 in one store and a size um, eight in another store and a size 20 in another store. It's crazy. All right. Those are our takes. Let us know what you think. We'll expand on one of those takes in a moment, but first, coming up in After Dark today, we're going to be talking about morbid fixations we had as a child. We each brought one of our own morbid fixations, so we'll talk about those and why we were so fascinated by them. After Dark is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of benefits on our Patreon. We have this new executive producer tier, for example, where you can get inside access to two of our planning meetings per month, and you can listen to them live on Fridays or listen to them on Patreon after the fact. They go anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes and should be fun and interesting for people to check out. So we hope people are enjoying those. You'll also get a video thank you message from one of the three of us as an executive producer uh, patron, and that's a customized message made just for you. And there's many other benefits as well. Don't forget that you can pledge for a year upfront and receive a discount for pledging annually. And when you do pledge, you receive a custom RSS feed that you can put into most podcast apps, just not Spotify. So you can listen to all of our bonus audio content, just like you do regular millennial. So patreon.com slash millennial is where you can support us. Thank you, everyone. All right. Now to expand a little bit on my warm take here. This is something that uh, we chatted a little bit about last year because there were some similar circumstances at play. But I feel like there's uh, enough here to expand on a little bit and also get y'all's takes on this because it seemed like maybe I feel a little more passionately about um, daylight savings time than y'all do. So Senator Marco Rubio of Florida has reintroduced his bill to lock the U.S. into daylight savings time. 
this is the one and only move that this man has made in his political career that I am emphatically for. So good job, Marco. Um, The Sunshine Protection Act of 2023 thus far has bipartisan support in the Senate. It's very similar to the bill that was introduced last year, which was unanimously passed by the Senate. If passed, the clocks would change once more on March 12th here in a few short days. Unfortunately, last year's bill died in the House due to disagreements about language in the bill and whether or not this was actually a priority when stacked against other issues, which like, I mean, TBH fair. (laughs) There are definitely more pressing things on our plate. Um, But just something we want to acknowledge here. Last year, we chatted about how the U.S. did try to revert to Uh, Daylight savings time back in the 70s, but ultimately went back to changing the clocks twice a year because people didn't like it. Ultimately, what ended up happening was they made the very stupid decision to implement this on January 6th of 1974, which is the dead of winter. Yeah. Some of the shortest days. Um, Had they waited until March when the clock would have, you know, quote, naturally jumped to daylight savings time the sun would have been rising you know a full 45 minutes ish earlier than it was in early january i think that that is one major way that this time would differ from the last time the country tried to do that in the 70s is we would be making the switch in march when there's more daylight Instead of making the switch in January when there's less of it. Yeah. And I remember that people in the 70s didn't like it as much that time because lighting just wasn't as good outside as it is today. You think about car lights, street lights, for better or for worse, uh, things would be better lit these days if we did this so yeah. i i think that would be a, a big factor i remember i think back in the 70s i had read this article um there was like an increase in car accidents it was just it was messy yeah so yeah i i think i'm in favor of it this this past winter i wasn't as affected by the time change falling back uh as i have been previous years it didn't give me that seasonal depression that that I felt in years past. I don't feel super strongly as I did last year because I was excited for the same reasons that you were. But I think we should do it. I mean, it seems like one thing in this country, a decent majority of people can agree on. Not everybody's going to be for it. And it's going to depend on where you live in this country. If you live in Maine versus whether you live in Florida, that's going to have a big difference. There's going to be a big difference there. So it really is a very personal decision. It is. The further north you live, you're just going to have more darkness in the morning. Yeah, And that that sucks for some people. Uh, but that's the way it is now. Yeah. The further north you are, the more darkness you have. It's just it's a matter of how much darkness, right? I think it's interesting that you say that this year you... You didn't suffer as much. And I wonder, is that because you've been living in the desert? Yeah, it's probably a factor. Pam, what about you? Do you have a strong preference for uh, daylight savings time or standard time? I don't have a preference um, one way or the other. I guess just because like the days are longer in the spring, I would prefer it to to stay at that 
uh, time increment. Um, I, I'm curious about like, I don't know, I think like to the average person, like, and I'm counting myself among this group too, I get that it's not a priority, but it also doesn't feel like it would be that big of a shift to implement. So like, what about this makes it complicated for the house to pass? Is it just differing opinion? Or is there like, more red tape than than the average person understands or yeah, knows about. I mean, part of it is um, I think there's some concern about long term effects or like unanticipated long term effects of doing this. At the end of the day, whether we're on daylight savings time or standard time, that doesn't change the amount of sunlight that you get during the day it just changes when you get the sunlight so are you getting it in the morning are you getting it mostly in the evening so given the winter yeah people have different preferences on that yeah like i'm a morning person so i do like having the sun come up earlier certain months of the year when pulling the clock back an hour would be helpful on the other hand laura said before you like to sleep in a little later so you don't mind if the sun is coming up later. Everybody's going to have a different opinion. And mm-hmm. from what I recall, with the bill last year, when there was like reporting on why it didn't advance, I think I heard some member of the House say, you know, there was some backlash to this idea. It's not like there is this general like sweep across the country of people being going, let's do it. Let's lead. Let's follow Marco Rubio. Like right. some people don't like this idea. So. Yeah, probably just because a lot of people don't like change in general. But to your point, like I know that Arizona specifically is one of these states that doesn't do daylight savings time, so they don't shift either way. Um, It does get very confusing because sometimes they're an hour ahead of us time wise, and then sometimes we're at the same time. (laughs) So it's pretty funny when you're driving there and you're only like an hour away and suddenly the time changes and you're like, wait, what? Mm hmm. Or doesn't change. Yeah. It's really complicated when, you, when you're when you in a country as big as this one, right? Like, I think for people from smaller countries, this discussion, you know, might not make a lot of sense. But when you think about how vast the U.S. is, we have four fucking time zones here. We have to. Right. You know, so it, it gets complicated. And then, like Andrew said, depending on the time zone that you're in, this will have an impact on you depending on where your preference is in terms of where you want most of your sunlight, right? Yeah. Um, Something that I did want to highlight here because it is important um, because it comes from experts. I myself am not an expert on this. Experts agree. So I will take that. They agree that we should stop changing the time twice a year and that it is not good for us from a health perspective. Okay. But they tend to believe that we should opt for standard time instead of daylight savings time. There are some really complicated um, reasons for this that people much smarter than me have laid out. We have a really great Washington Post article with this infographic that kind of walks you through why this is. But the upshot is that solar time, so the time that the sun is evident in the sky, you know, typically you're going to hear people talk about solar time um, as being like when the sun is at high noon, right? Um, And when the sun is at high noon, it matches 12 o'clock p.m., on standard time, 
when the sun is at high noon during daylight savings time, that's 1 p.m. on the daylight savings time clock. So it shifts solar time a little bit. And because solar time helps humans keep their internal clocks in check, experts believe that when we switch to daylight savings time, we are effectively starting off on the wrong foot by giving ourselves an hour less sleep in both the morning by being forced to wake up earlier and in the evening by not being ready for bed yet because of the time shift. They think that this could set off a chain reaction of your internal clock being perpetually out of sync from solar time if we went to daylight savings time and stayed on it. So they see this as having an increased risk for heart attacks, diabetes, obesity, mood disorders, and even some types of cancer. So that is... I know one of the very significant concerns that certain members of the House have had about this, um, about the potential long-term effects on people's health of making this change. Interesting. So you can see why people feel very split about not just whether or not to do it, but how to do it, which way to go. Right. Hmm. Ultimately, you know, I think for me personally, it matters the most that we stop this ridiculous practice of changing the clocks twice a year. I don't think it ultimately matters one way or the other which, you know, time we were to decide on. I would prefer daylight savings time because I like my son in the afternoon. But if there were a national move to put us on standard time for the rest of time, I would be okay with that. What do y'all think? I'm with you in terms of staying with one, and my one will be daylight savings for the same reason that you outlined, even though the winters will suck a little more. I prefer the longer evenings as well, but my only um, thought to maybe go with the opposite would be because it might be more helpful to agriculture workers and also people that commute early in the mornings. I know that that's a big issue, like for my mom specifically, because it's really dark outside when she has to leave for work. So yeah, yeah. And it's just like safer road conditions if you can actually see what's going down. So Well, given how America moves, I'll be shocked, even though this bill came up again, I'll be shocked if uh, this actually moves forward. Yeah. As much as I would like to see it. Fingers crossed, because it would be nice. It would be. I am predicting that it will unanimously pass the Senate again and go to the House to die, just like last year. Okay. Well, it's time for some recommendations. I had a fever last week, and I'm almost better now. But it was super helpful to have one of these digital temperature readers that you can just hover over your forehead and press a button and then it'll quickly scan to get your body temperature. So much better than like a traditional thermometer that you have to put under your mouth and then you got to clean it. We actually bought one of these during peak COVID and using it over the last week just reminded me how handy... It is. So if you don't have one of these, they're on Amazon for like 17 bucks. Helpful helpful for kids too. Just a quick way to read a kid's temperature. So check out the forehead thermometers. As Amazon says here, for it's for babies and adults. And I am both. <laughs> same. Same. Um, I want to recommend a four-part podcast mini-series called Bass Reeves, No Master But Duty. Um, This is actually from um, 
the the parent podcast Solved Murders over on Spotify. It's true crime special. Um, so over the next few weeks, they are putting out this four-part series um, about the true story of a legendary figure of the Wild West who's believed to have inspired the Lone Ranger. He was born into slavery and became one of America's most revered lawmen. Um, it is a fascinating story and the host has a voice like velvet and i could just listen to it all day um so highly recommend that one and i wanted to recommend ahc natural perfection sunscreen stick um i would not recommend this for anybody that wears um heavy makeup it's probably better suited for like minimal to no makeup because while it will not remove any makeup you have on your face, it will kind of move it around a little bit. It's really not that noticeable, but I just wanted to preface that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I feel like I'm always looking for a sunscreen that I can use to like reapply over any makeup that I do have on. And I'm also always looking for something that I can just stick in my purse really easily. And this is a fantastic alternative to sprays. It has SPF 50, which is like the lowest I will usually go for myself, but I know everybody has different preferences on that. Um, but yeah, it's just really nice. And you just kind of twist it up and you can use it and you can just like wipe it off to sanitize it really easily. It's got a really nice, like smooth, silky finish. So if you're looking for, um, you know, a face sunscreen or something that you can just kind of carry on with you to reapply while you're out and about, I would recommend checking this out. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to today's episode. Make sure you're following the show for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss a new episode we release every Wednesday. And leave us a review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can write to us by emailing millennialshow at gmail.com, or you can use the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. And finally, follow us on social media. We are Millennial Show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. On those last two, we will have a blue check one day. (laughs) And then over on TikTok, we are Millennial Pod. After Dark starts in a moment for patrons and Apple Podcast subscribers. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. And we're all verified in our hearts. Goodbye. (laughs) 